0: You're listening to Irish Radio Canada at Home and Abroad. The Birth Information and Tracing Bill is a landmark piece of legislation whereby for the first time those adopted will be able to access their birth certificate and other early life information. And that's from October 2002. And in addition, the legislation will establish a new statutory contact preference register which will be held by the Adoption Authority of Ireland. and This offers a means for people to register their preference for contact with family. And the Department of Children, Equality, Disability, Integration and Youth recognises that there is a lack of awareness around this legislation, and particularly for those living outside of Ireland and are keen to have the, the broadest possible reach. And uh, just to note that while both parents and children can establish a no-contact preference on this register. This legislation means that this information will be released to relevant individuals. Therefore, it is important that those living abroad know of this development in advance of birth information being released in October. And Patricia Carey is the CEO of the Adoption Authority of Ireland and Patricia is here with me. Welcome, Patricia. Thanks a million for coming along.
1: Thanks very much, Austin. Delighted to talk to you and your listeners this morning or this afternoon, as it is in Ireland. Sunny, 28
0: degrees. So to put it in context, you know, for a piece of legislation to be brought forward, there needs to be a problem that needed to be solved. Hmm.
1: Fair
0: point. What was the problem?
1: I suppose we'll have to go back a little bit in history. Um, In 1953 was the first piece of adoption law in Ireland. But obviously, before 1953, lots of children were being adopted or, you know, informally adopted. It was a term known as boarded out. Um, So we reckon there was about 20,000 children pre-1953 that went to live with other families. And then since 1953, um, legal adoption, there have been over 50,000 children adopted in Ireland. Uh, Unfortunately, there's also um, a small number of children whose births were illegally registered which means for your listeners that a child was born and was given to adoptive parents, but they registered the child in their own name, so the child might know that they were adopted. So this law means that all information held by the Irish state, files, records, adoption files and records, can now be released to those adult adoptees. So that's for anyone over 16. From the first week in October, they can apply for their original birth certificate and they can apply for any information that's held on them by the Adoption Authority or other agencies in Ireland that hold the information. So it's it's really a first because people adopted adults were very annoyed that they couldn't access, as they said, their information. And this piece of legislation for the first time allows for that part of it. We're establishing you hit the nail on the head there, a contact preference register. So that's a register for people to say, I, I'm a birth parent, I'm an adult adoptee, I'm a relative of either, I'd like to get in touch, I'd like to find out more. And that's the reason why we have this three-month information campaign and particularly important to reach people outside Ireland.
0: Patricia, you mentioned something there, where you said people possibly, they were boarded out and then registered as the legitimate children of the household mm. that they were boarded out to, how would they even know, first of all? And secondly, what paper trail would have suggested mm. that that might have been the case? Because particularly if it was informal, um, is it possible they're still going down uh, cul-de-sac?
1: Yeah, well, there are two separate cohorts of people. They boarded out the the children at the time who were boarded out. There would have been some information, not in all cases, but they may have been placed with a family where they were being cared for. Uh, the family may have been in touch with the institution where they were born, if they were born in a mother and baby home. So unfortunately, often for those children, now adults, we may have very little information, but whatever information we have, we will give it to them. Um, it may only be a page or two, or it may be a document, a, a line within a mother and baby home record. The other group, you're right, are, are it's far more challenging because some of those individuals may not even know themselves that they're not the child of their parents. So to give you an example, in 2018, um, a number of files were discovered with a term used on it and the term was adopted from birth. Now, no legal adoption can take place before a child is six weeks old. So we knew that there was something amiss. And when we looked into the files in great detail, we found that these children were born generally in uh, private institutions. Their mother may have Signed documentation for their formal adoption, but they were never adopted. And then we found in our general registry office that these children had indeed been registered as the biological child of prospective adoptive parents. And in some instances, they weren't told. So there's a number of uh, processes going on at the moment. So we have some intensive work with those people. Some of them are now in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Some of them very unfortunately and traumatically are only finding out now for the first time that they are not the child of their parents. But for the wider group of people in in Ireland and abroad, particularly in Canada, the United States and Australia, because we know a lot of mothers who gave their children, relinquished their children for adoption, moved abroad. They didn't have maybe a positive experience. So we're very keen to reach out to those. Now, we already have a register. With 15,000 people on it, that's births, parents um, and children, now adults. All of those 15,000 people who are on it are moving to the new legal register, but we're asking people to update their details. So we're concerned that people might say, oh, well, I put my name down on that 10 years ago or 10 months ago. Please come back to us give us your email address, uh, make contact with us. And we have a, a website specifically just for this new law. It's called birthinfo.ie. So very simple, birthinfo.ie. And there's a frequently asked questions there, you know, depending on if you're a parent, if you're a, an adult adoptee, if you are boarded out, all of the answers are there in very, very plain English.
0: Nish, you mentioned something there of where children were adopted at birth. And in cases that may also have been adopted at birth by parents from outside of Ireland.
1: Yeah. So, so this is a, an, an even more complicated um, and challenging group where we had some children who were born in Ireland who were um, their The paperwork had been signed for an adoption and they were sent to a third country for adoption. So we know there were files discovered in the nineties that, over 2,000 children were sent to America for adoption. So they weren't adopted in Ireland. They were adopted in the United States. Now, those people would be particularly anxious to come back and get their original birth certificates, um, which, you know, obviously they're Irish citizens from their birth certificates. So we really want to reach all of the people around the world who may, it may may be their parent who was a birth parent, um, and they may have, you know, half-brothers or half-sisters that they wish to make contact with. So anyone who believes that they have a connection to adoption is very welcome to contact us through the website and sign up for this register.
0: Also, that's one scenario. When you mention that, are you telling me then that those children would have been born outside Ireland or were they born in Ireland and literally... Export.
1: Yeah, born, born in Ireland and, and in court, it... yeah, sent to. So this is where you had maybe Catholic families from the United States coming, you know, literally coming on trips and, and adoptions were organized. Uh, probably, and I suppose it's honest to say, not in the most formal way. Um, and and there's a lot of unhappiness around the, I suppose, the system that existed at the time. These would have been children that were in mother and baby homes. Mm-hmm. And we've all seen the film. Philomena you know, mm-hmm. Lee, where mm-hmm. that, that exact story played out.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: it's really important that we get the message out there far and wide that we want people to come back to us. Um, this, is, this is historical legislation because for years in Ireland, um, the situation was that adopted adults could not access the information that the state held about them or on them or original documentation. And very importantly, Austin, for some people, for a lot of people around medical information so if the files contain any medical information that will be released it could be about a genetic illness it could be about some sort of developing genetic illness so we're, we're very keen to to engage with people and you know it's a three-month window the reason for that is that some people may wish to have no contact and we want to allow people the time to register their no contact or to tease out the issues around that at the moment on that register of 15,000 people, we have 99 people who registered no contact. So it's quite a small number. Um, the information will still be released, and that's really important to tell your listeners. However, what we will be saying is that this person has asked for no contact and and just to, to, to be aware of that. But there are no restrictions or no barriers to releasing information once we get to October 1st. Um, we need a bit of time, as with everything. I think there's a 30-day window to release the information. But one example would be the birth certificates that we hold, they can be automatically released. So for the first time, people will hold or have their original birth certificate.
0: Expand on that a little, Patricia, because I do know that it was a case that if you were an adopted person, <clears throat> I think, and correct me if I have this wrong, and you applied for your birth certificate, mm-hmm. You could not get it. Well,
1: at the moment, the situation is that that, that there's no legal, um, there's no legislative right to your original birth certificate. What would happen, which I know frustrated and annoyed people, the birth mother would be asked her views because she was named on it, obviously, as the mother. And in some instances, we would try to find that mother and we couldn't find her. So we couldn't ascertain her views and we erred on the side of caution and said, well, if we can't find her and talk to her, we're not releasing it. So up to now, it was only in instances where the, where the mother said, no problem, release the certificate, we released it. But an awful lot of adult adoptees were deeply frustrated and angry about the fact that they couldn't have a document that related to them. And this legislation says unrestricted, unredacted access to all files and records.
0: From a practical perspective, <clears throat> And for those of us who easily could obtain a birth certificate, I guess we have no comprehension of mm. the difficulty that that encounters. Because, you know, I think when you apply for passport, don't you, or you have, there's so many other next yeah. steps that you have to produce a birth certificate yeah. for. Um, so yeah,
1: so it, it is. It's, I mean, it's, it, it really speaks to the heart of people's fundamental rights to identity that for adopted adults, they had two identities or children as they were when they were adopted so they might have been born as Mary Brown and then they became you know Belinda whatever so they so they, they want that information because it's about them they're not asking for information about somebody else um and I think in Ireland you know in other countries around the world this legislation is in force and there are different you know criteria for it but I think Ireland has taken quite a a brave step in saying all information that's held will be released. The only caveat I would give, and I think you touched on it earlier, that you know, obviously going back in history, record keeping wasn't as fastidious as it is now, and depending on where the child was born in a mother and baby home, the record keeping was different. So some people may be bitterly disappointed that we hold very little information. Some people may be delighted we might have a lot of information. But there isn't a standard adoption file or record because there were, you know, at least forty or fifty different mother and baby homes and county homes and institutions, and they all had their own bespoke record keeping. But whatever information we have on individuals will be released to them.
0: Um we talked about babies being born in Ireland and being instantly effectively adopted abroad. In Ireland pre-1953 and even subsequent to 1953, right up until I think Vesper, I was surprised how recent it was still Mm. operating. Um, There was tremendous shame Mm. around a young girl becoming pregnant. And Mm. in many cases, they were exported before they gave birth. Mm. And if they had gone to England or somewhere else, gave birth, and then gave their child up for adoption – does this legislation, and in any way, encompass those people?
1: So, is that for children who are born in in the UK, for example, or somewhere
0: else? Possibly, but of an Irish of an yeah. Irish mother who yeah had, who literally took the boat yeah. to 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 be hidden for yeah. the period both, of the pregnancy. Yeah.
1: The short answer is no, because we wouldn't hold records on the child if the child was born in another country. Now, sometimes what happens or may have happened is a mother may have been engaged with an adoption agency in Ireland and maybe talked about her wishes or her feeling forced into this. So there could be. But I I would say. Uh, essentially this this legislation relates to people born in Ireland, placed in Ireland and then the small number of of children who were born in Ireland but were sent abroad for adoption because we do get a lot of inquiries from people in the UK and uh, America and Canada who gave birth in another country but but we primarily hold the files for those born in Ireland.
0: Okay, and that was just to be, you know, that we could clarify that and be very clear that uh, what, 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 what the parameters are of this. Um, We live in a world where many of us have gone off and got our DNA done and things don't add up. And it's not that that implies instantly that there's a problem or a curiosity. But we now have the information that can often cause people some degree of discontent, Mm -hmm. uh, whether it be legitimate or not. What, what would you think, uh, or have, how would you comment well, on? Well,
1: I, I think DNA—it's quite a new area in terms of uh, adoption and adopted people, and I think it will become a bigger uh, player in in the whole tracing and and linking people in together. I, I often say in adoption, be careful what you look for in terms of what you might find. However, where DNA is is critical is in situations maybe where. In children adopted from abroad. So, so this service will also relate to children, intercountry adopted children, who are now coming of age, and that might help them in terms of linking them with their families in China or Vietnam or so on. I think DNA. There needs to be a careful consideration because a lot of adopted people are talking about meeting their their family, their birth family, their family of origin. They may not be that interested in second and third, fourth, fifth cousins, which. My understanding is that's quite often what, what the DNA test might throw up. But again, I've read examples of where, you know, we, we hear these stories of where children, you know, back in time were left in um, phone boxes or the back of churches. DNA has has reunited people or given those people um, significant help. I think we can't overplay the importance of DNA. I think where the Adoption Authority and other partners in Ireland are very good is at tracing. So if we have a, a small piece of information, Mary Murphy from balnaslow you know, she had a cousin who had a hairdresser's, her uncle was a priest, you know, they, we, we become detectives um, yeah. and as you know yourself, Ireland's a small place so it's, it's not six degrees of separation, it's probably two or three degrees of separation.
0: This right. Now, the important part of this as well is that both parents and children can establish a no-contact pre- preference on the register. So, you know, this I know is not going to ease the frustration of some people because mm-hmm. I can fully l- appreciate that you would have again. If we go back to where you may have had a young girl mm. who was pregnant, uh, gave birth, mm. put it behind her as best she could, yeah, and yeah. and created somewhat, and I and I'm being cared, somewhat of a repaired life, but mm. that this. Shadow is in the background. Um, sure. I can see legitimately how yeah. they wished not to have their life turned up topsy turvy.
1: And I think often that's where we always distinguish the right to information against the right of contact. They're two completely separate things. I would say most adoptees that you would talk to would say, "I want my information. Okay. I want, I want, I want the information you hold about me." It's not it's this much smaller percentage who say, I want to have contact because, but not only have the birth parents or the parents moved on birth mothers in, in primarily the adopted person might often say, well, I have my family. Thank you very much. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not looking for, so there might be a little bit of a myth and we all see these programs on television where these, you know, happy, long lost family type programs. my, interactions with adoptees are first and foremost I want the information that's held about me um, and that's why Ireland struggled with this adoption legislation in respecting people's right to say no contact but I also think you, you'll you be aware that Ireland has grown up and changed hugely in the last 10 years I mean who would have said that we would have marriage equality, um, equal rights to, to abortion care so you know, as somebody said to me recently, you could walk down O'Connell Street with a unicorn sticking out of your head and nobody would blink. You know, we've we, as a nation, we've grown up and we've had really difficult conversations. And often with a parent who says no contact, I've also experienced that when they talk to somebody, they might change their mind. Um, they might just need a little bit of time to think about it. And I think that's a really good thing. I mean, you mentioned secrecy and shame. These women experience terrible Um, You know, they they were told to be to to be afraid. They were told to walk away from this. So this legislation is opening up the possibility for people maybe to throw off those shackles and and not to be ashamed about what happened in their past.
0: So, again, to be crystal clear on this, while the register is for no contact, Mm. the information would be made available.
1: Yeah. In, in all instances, in all instances, the information that's held will be released. The only difference is where a no contact is registered. The individual receiving the information will be told, by the way, you're, the, the other person has indicated their wish for privacy, no contact. Now, that has upset some people because it's, it's, it's almost making an assumption that people are going to doorstep their their. Birth mother, and that has never happened in my experience. Again, I think it's a little bit of a myth, um, but obviously, all adopted people have the same ability to to respect individuals as anyone else. So it was just a way to balance the rights of of all parties within adoption. But I think it's going to be positive legislation, um, as as you say. You know, there'll be a few tweaks. Nothing is ever simple. Uh, many a turn and a twist on a road in Ireland, and but well, we hope that people will engage with the campaign. Go onto the website, birthinfo.ie, have a look at the messaging. Contact us if there's any questions. Um, we've received over 600 applications in the first 10 days. And actually, interestingly, a lot of them from Canada and, and the United States.
0: I know it can't be um, created probably, but I'm not. Unfortunately, I would say the situation that this is catering to or dealing with to some degree, is sexist, and I'm being generous. Uh, well, I'm not. I'm trying to be careful here. Men have got away with murder.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's sometimes we, we have this conversation here a lot. And um, people say, "Well, is my birth father named on on the birth certificate?" And in huge number of cases, they're not. I mean, I would say, you know, for every baby born, of course, it takes two people. Yeah. But some of the pressures was on. The mother is not to give a name of a, of a, of a birth father for various reasons. Okay. Be he married, be he, you know, you know, for for all sorts of reasons. But I do think that, and you're right, you know, women in Ireland have, have shouldered the brunt of many um, difficult, um, I suppose, systems in Ireland. Even, you're probably old enough to remember women being churched where they had to... Oh, yeah present themselves at the altar after having a baby, which should have been the most wonderful thing. So it's that shame and history that we're trying to not rewrite, but to to make right by saying to people, your files and records are open. This was part of our history. Uh, We don't want to repeat it. Everyone is entitled to information about their identity. I mean, we hear so much today about identity and different people's identities. And yet we've this huge cohort of people whose identity is hidden. And then we have their parents, their family of origin, who in some way are hidden as well. Um, And one of the things we're doing, Austin, is, and this was given its importance because it only happens, I think it's only happened six or seven times in Ireland, we're sending an information booklet into every household in Ireland. And we're sending them through our embassy network abroad, um, all over the world, Because we want people to know that for once and for all, we've we've drawn a line in the sand on this topic and and really to encourage your listeners to to have a look. They might might not be adopted or part of it, but they might know somebody and say, did you hear about what's going on? Did you hear about the register? So we'd be really keen to, to talk to people.
0: The other side of the coin is that when somebody goes down the road to pursue information, you know they always say, "Be careful what you wish for," or "You be careful when you open the door, what you might find on the other side of it." Mm. Um, is there anything in place for the what might be the consequences?
1: Yeah, there, there is, and and you're right. I mean, in some instances, the information may be upsetting or distressing, or or just very n- new. Or you know, it's funny. A lot of adopted people, I think, already it's like a jigsaw. They already have a few parts of it, and they're, they're just putting the final pieces together. We do have support available for people who may wish to have support through various, um through Barnardo's in Ireland and through the Child and Family Agency and through ourselves. But equally, we're not going to assume that people require support. So we don't want to say, well, you're receiving this information, you have to have counselling or you have to have a meeting. Our door is open for people who might want to talk it through. Well, what does that mean on the file? Or I didn't know that I had a half sibling. And even quite importantly, the way language was used. Uh, We had different terms for people with disabilities. We had different terms for people who weren't ethnically white Irish. Um, So the files may contain very derogatory language that was used at that time and, and were available to support people through their reading of their file.
0: This would be a good opportunity for me to mention probably then Helplink.ie. Helplink is the mental health service uh, based in Galway that provides counseling to the diaspora. And you can get up to six um, sessions if you apply, if you need some uh, counseling. Mm -hmm. Uh, They provide the service to the diaspora. So if you do do some research and it throws Mm -hmm. up something that deeply disturbs you, and you want to talk to someone in counselling who can understand who you are and relate to you because mm-hmm. you're Irish. Well, Helplink in Galway, as I say, helplink.ie is a good mm-hmm. source to go to on that mm-hmm. one as well.
1: Yeah. And we have information on the website as well for places to get support um, in Ireland and beyond. So people can go onto that birthinfo.ie and look up the various resources there.
0: So, um, again, the date for the release of the information is early October. That's so scheduled. people
1: can apply, yeah, first week in October, people can apply to us for release of their information. Um, obviously, at the moment, we're encouraging as many people as possible to get on that register. Now, the register will stay open. It's not just a three-month register, but we really want to, to update and get as many people onto the register in the first instance.
0: And, of course, if you have any concerns uh, that... Somebody could actually apply the first week of October, and you haven't registered. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may find that you've
1: yeah, the horse the horse. Little,
0: the horse has bolted, and you wish yep. it hadn't. Yeah. Exactly,
1: but it's also a chance for people to ask questions about
0: the legislation. Uh, is the renting we haven't covered, Patricia?
1: No, I think I mean I, I, I what I would say is just really to go on to birthinfo.ie, and we have frequently asked questions there and lots of resources. Um, but equally, if people have questions, they can email us um, they can fill in the form online. Uh, we can post the form. I'm really conscious about digital poverty. And um, so if somebody in Canada wants to fill in the form the traditional way, no problem. We'll post it to them. Um, so thank you very much for the opportunity to, to talk to your listeners. I'm lovely to talk to you as well,
0: Austin. Thanks a million, Patricia. And hope uh, things that the rollout goes smooth. Having some degree with technology, I always know that when you hit the launch date, some bug can appear and you say, oh, why did that happen? Yeah, there's always something. There is. Thanks a million, Patricia. Thanks.